0: Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. What would you discover about yourself if you re-examined a significant portion of your career? Today's guest on Getting Work to Work recently collected and edited 25 years of essays into a collection called Who Hears Here on black music, pasts, and present. Guthrie P. Ramsey Jr. has many talents and interests, a musicologist, professor, writer, pianist, composer, producer, podcaster, filmmaker, you name it, he's done it. In our conversation, he shares lessons learned from examining his past and how he continually weaves between interests and ideas. Guthrie talks a lot about collaboration and being open to others, the cycle of plan, dream, execute he uses in creating new things, and how he's in a constant dialogue between what he's collected and what he's experiencing in this moment. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 637. Well, you don't seem someone short of curiosity, so what's filling your curiosity tank today
1: oh today i'm thinking a lot about reading this uh new book that just dropped 3 weeks ago uh you know th- it is a collection of essays uh that i have written throughout my career as a musicologist over the last 25 years or so and uh 25 years is a long time mm-hmm. and so i <laughs> I had to uh, first of all, sit down and say, okay, what what in the world were you talking about 25 <laughs> years ago? Yeah, and what was what was so pressing that you had to, you know, write an essay about it. So frankly, that's what I've been uh, turning my attention to. And uh, I, I should say uh, in the last 12 hours, I've been thinking about a, a wonderful concert I went to last night, uh, the uh, young jazz harpist uh, Brandy Younger who played a brilliant uh, a set of music, which included uh, an entire album by her uh, her uh, inspiration, uh, Alice Coltrane. So I'm always thinking about music and books.
0: Yeah, I love it. We're gonna have a fun conversation then because I too love music and books. So it'll be interesting to see where we go in this conversation. I love that you mentioned your book, a collection of essays over 25 years, because I mean, that had to be pretty daunting to go into and, and go back to some of those past eras where you had to remember what you were thinking.
1: You know, uh, the interesting thing about it is that I, uh, as a, a professor who routinely meets, uh, Former students. So if I've been in this business a long time. Mm-hmm. And so some of these people that you meet are, you know, full, full grown adults with their own lives and kids and everything. And when I meet them on any street or city I, I'm on in, in, in on planet Earth, it's really fascinating to meet a younger version of yourself because they remember you as you were. Mm-hmm. And so they're relating to you as if you were that same person. And so I'm hearing their feedback. I'm hearing their memories. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a a great way to, to experience who they experience. And, you know, sometimes it's a person that you may not be anymore yeah. and, and you've moved on. And I, I found reading these essays the same kind of experience, you know. Yeah. So some of these things I wouldn't say today in the same way. Uh, some of these things I would say the same way, and some of these things I probably wouldn't say. So <laughs> it, it, it it you you kind of meet this uh, younger version of yourself, and uh, it, that's always a, a fascinating uh, journey. Sometimes joyous, sometimes a little. Uh, you know, disturbing,
0: yeah Well, I, I, was there any moments where you were like where did where did that guy go you know what what happened to him?
1: uh sure, particularly uh in in I could talk about each scenario when uh, you know former students you know you know meet me and I think, wow, I was so diligent <laughs> back then. I was, you know, when you're in your younger self, you're mm-hmm. totally ambitious and you're <laughs> full of enthusiasm and you're trying to climb the ladder and you're trying to build a reputation. And I, they uh, describe me as really deeply caring about them, you know, which I'm happy to to meet that person, you know. <laughs> yeah. and Or... Uh, even in the the essays, I'm reading uh, someone who was so diligent about tracing down sources and trying not to make a mistake and being very careful about things in ways that I wonder if I'm, I still am. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned in the introduction to Who Here is Here, uh, I think it was, I think the last name was McKittrick?
1: Yes, Catherine McKittrick, yes.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned just about the collection, the the things you collect for your intellectual history, uh, stories, citations, and and experiences. I wonder what else you would add to broaden that, like musical a- and film references and culture, to really even show you how much you've changed.
1: Oh, absolutely! Because I, of course, have a immense and voracious appetite for music. Mm -hmm. and I think I always have I'm a person who can remember uh I may not remember what the tv show was about but I remember every horn line in the theme song (laughs) 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 I remember when the bass came in I you know it's just those things stay with me uh so I'm I'm I think that certainly the music that i've collected in my brain uh, anytime i'm sitting at the piano anytime i'm arranging something anytime i'm interacting with uh musicians anytime i'm listening to a concert it there's a constant dialogue between what i've collected and what i'm experiencing now hmm. and it i experience musical life that way, that it's always about references, and it's always about citations, and it's always about previous experiences with similar or dissimilar uh, sonic organization. Mm -hmm. So this is why when I'm listening to music, it's hard for me to listen to people talk. It's, you know, because it's, there's a lot going on in my brain, and I'm not always aware of that. The, uh, you know the coffee pot is boiling over, or <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Well, I love it too because just in that description, music, listening to music is so much more than just the chords and the sounds and the emotions. It, I, it's it's richer than what you're describing.
1: Oh, indeed. It's for me the musical experience is about a cultural transaction going on between the listener and uh the Creator mm-hmm. and so there's this traffic going on between the two and uh what's going on be- inside of that traffic is all of the experiences of the Creator mm-hmm. and all of the experiences of the listener and so it's a very busy you know two-way Highway you add into that uh whatever situation that you happen to be listening in you may be uh trying to uh seduce someone you may be trying to make friends with a group of people or show them that hey i fit into this uh to this group that i'm Trying to, uh, you know, stylize myself into. You may be trying to piss off your parents, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> you, 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 you. We innately understand that some kind of cultural transaction is going on when we listen to music. That's why sometimes we may be listening to something as a parent, and we'll turn it down when our children walk in the room, or. Uh, you know, you we understand that there's some action going on with the with the music, and, and so I, I experience life that way, and uh, I study and write about those transactions as well.
0: Yeah, there's there's one thing that I would love to wrap people's mind around as we have this conversation, and so I'm and read my notes because it's important that people grasp what I'm about to say, but oftentimes we hear the word multi-hyphenate and think two or three extra things apart from what you already do but as i describe you you are a musicologist professor writer pianist composer producer podcaster filmmaker giver to community arts initiatives i didn't know how it's to write that other than you know you give to communities I, and i could keep going on because just spending time on your website reveals this just never-ending list of things that you've done and i could ask things like why or how you've done those things but what i'm curious about from your perspective is what are the threads and the stories that weave between each of those things and almost create an unlimited possibility for you and for others watching you
1: i really love that conceptualization and thank you so much for uh taking the time to to delve into all of this. Uh, One of the things that I had to do um, as I moved through my career and as I got other interests and followed those leads, is that I had to create a website to even understand what it is that I was doing. (laughs) Part of the Musicology uh, website, was about me trying to understand how these things were related Mm -hmm. and how to uh, get other people to experience what I was doing in the world as not chaotic Mm -hmm. and uh, haphazard, but was the result of someone who is curious, someone who uh, Cares and believes about, believes the best about people, and who believes that he could make the world better by making things and by educating people about how to make things and how to get people to understand their place in the world uh, vis a vis historical actors, historical situations, or their own uh, backgrounds. So I I think we're all as equally interesting and curious. Mm -hmm. I uh, just somehow got this wild man gene to think that (laughs) I could just go ahead and and act on it. And I'm always evangelizing trying to show people that this is how you live.
0: Yeah, that had to have been challenging back when you were starting, too, because, you know, you you mentioned diligent, being diligent to continue citing sources and things like that. Was diligence what kept you chasing all of these different pursuits?
1: Well, diligence, certainly, but also fear sometimes, you know, when you are venturing out into new terrain, often you have to kind of, uh, what's the word, prune away things, you know? You have to uh, decide that, okay, enough of this, and now I'm going to move on to the the next challenge. And here I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I began my adult life if, you know, once you walk across that high school graduation stage, I guess that's when adult life, life begins. I, w- I wanted to be a working musician, I wanted to be uh, in, uh, you know, I wanted to be the pianist in Steely Dan, <laughs> or, or, or you know, uh, or any of the great, you know, jazz artists that I uh, learned about, and, and so I, I started to play. I didn't go straight to college, I went on the road, I, because, you know, and I happened to come from a supportive you know family uh you know you you know when you come from a working class family a working poor family they tend to be against the stereotype they tend to be supportive of whatever dream you have with no preconceived notions of this is the only path that you need to go down in order to be happy in order to make us happy and proud of you mm-hmm. so You know, you know, I was totally into this. I was obsessed. And I had that support. I never thought I was doing something wrong or against the grain by following those curiosities. And after, you know, being on the road and finding out what that was all about, I just said, well, you know, so I'll be living out of a suitcase for the rest of my life, you know, and uh, which is a very, very, you know, tough road. Some people choose that. This is why I give all the props to full-time musicians. You know, I don't mind paying for the ticket, I don't <laughs> mind, you know, purchasing the albums and 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 all that because I know they've chosen a life that is about inconsistency and haphazard, you know, uh, experiences. Yet they sit down and create this wonderful thing. And and so then I went into the more academic lane and and pursued my music that way. So you know, So from the very beginning was always about experimentation and moving to the next thing and trying different things out.
0: Yeah. Like, did you give yourself a period of time if this doesn't work out by X, I'm in a switch? Or did you just naturally go with the flow of how things progressed?
1: I think when I was younger, I kind of thought about things in five-year increments. You know, I would give myself five years to... uh how did I conceive it? I, I would give myself five years to uh, assess what had happened, mm-hmm. you know, and and think about, uh, it, it was a way to not be too hard on myself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's a way to not always think like you uh, were a, an absolute failure. <laughs> <laughs> right. you, you have to give it a little breathing room, you know? And because I was only doing the things that I enjoyed, the things that really obsessed me, it that didn't seem like a a, a long time. yeah, that's so i i would say I was on that kind of timetable Where I got that idea, I have no idea, yeah,
0: it's probably just ingrained in us naturally to to think in periods of time like what are you what's your ten year plan as opposed to You've got four bars solo. Have fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, it's uh, it, it's funny. What what I did develop though along the way with each endeavor is is this kind of tripartite model: dream, plan, execute. Mm-hmm. So I would think about what it is that would make me happy. What would make me motivated? What would make me want to get up every morning and chip away at it. You know, my mom told me one time that your life is like a quarter. She spun it on the table, I think. <laughs> she said, this is all the time you have. When that quarter stops, that's it. Yeah. So, you you know, I, I was kind of thinking along, uh, along those lines. So I would dream. I would think about how I wanted it what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted to try. And then I would do the research and plan it out, you know, come up with the something that would make me want to report in every day and knock it out without anyone telling me that that's what I had to do. Mm. Because if you have your plan, it's you're, you're self-motivated. You don't need anyone else. I'm not saying that it always worked out that way.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Because you always have these dissenting voices. You always have, you know, you might be employed by somebody who has nothing to do with the plan that you're executing on your own. So I always had to fit it in, you know, uh, when I started having children. Yeah. You had to fit it fit it in whatever you're doing around their uh, well-being and welfare. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I would just go down the list and try to execute it with the belief that when I got to the end of that checklist, something had occurred, something had happened, that that dream was, uh, that it was tried. And more times than not, I was not always completely satisfied, but I wasn't disappointed in myself that I didn't try.
0: Yeah, I love that. Do you still follow that uh, dream, plan, execute today?
1: Absolutely, in every single thing. It's so ingrained now that I do it automatically. Mm -hmm. I sit around and think about what it is that I, what will get me out of this frustration? what will get me out of this this mode of desire and into fulfillment mm-hmm. and that's just the way that i that i've you know worked it out and i believe in collaboration i believe that that the dream plan execute model is most efficiently achieved when you have like-minded people around you yeah you know uh and as an educator i've been very blessed that they're always you know people are going to sign up for my class all of a sudden i have a room full of uh initiates you know (laughs) right and so many of my most important collaborators have come out of my classrooms
0: Hmm. that's powerful
1: yeah, I give them an opportunity and sometimes they take the opportunity. Because I think student my, my experience has been that students sense if you're trying to educate them and not train them. Mm. You know, if you're 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 trying to show them something, you know, about you know, life or whatever it is that we're working on, and not just simply uh hit these bullet points and then you get an A, right. you know, it's, so I mean, sometimes that transaction is necessary. Sometimes it, you know, you're only a human, but I'm talking about the people who come into your, um, into your world and see something that they want to emulate, or they see something in you that they know will help them get where they need to go or want to go. And before you know it, that that person becomes a collaborator. And if you start sharing resources with them, Mm -hmm. which is part of collaboration, Mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of building another version of yourself. And uh, it's been very fruitful for me. I can't tell you the richness of the uh, relationships that I've built. How did you
0: get past the ego that is present when you're collaborating or thinking about collaboration because i know a lot of people uh struggle with collaboration and i think it's primarily because of ego they want the credit or they want to be seen as someone that can do everything i'm only speaking for myself on that one (laughs) but it's like how did you how did you embrace that collaborative nature
1: well you're absolutely right about the the ego part of creating and you know trying to do something and get somewhere. And certainly the field that I'm in, you know, music, uh as a performer and then uh you know, being a scholar, mm-hmm. which is all really all about, you know, uh building a this international reputation yeah. as the expert in XYZ, you know. And, and so built into that, there's some problematics with collaboration. And uh, I guess it was trial and error. I guess it was uh, understanding, uh, you know, all it takes is a, a one successful collaboration. Mm. And you see how much more you got done yeah. because you were willing to share the credit. Because you were willing to not just hold yourself up as the sole, you know, font from which all of this this stuff flowed. And then you start seeing the gratitude of the people that you collaborate with because they just want to be seen as in partnership with you. And if you learn how to share that spotlight and bring people into it, because it wasn't just my students that I collaborated with. I often collaborate with people who were not pursuing college degrees, who maybe didn't even have a college degree, but who were immensely talented, who had a lot to give, and who had a lot to benefit from being connected with someone in my you know station or position. That's a that's been really, really cool and fulfilling to share that and you just feel like you're giving you know and not taking yeah is that something that you see or
0: saw when you were editing the the book of 25 years of collaborations
1: well of course because all you have to do is look at the footnotes of who i read Hmm. and uh who gave me opportunities? You know, one of the things I had to research is what was the circumstance of each one of these essays? You know, long forgotten. I didn't know why I was writing so much or who had invited me to do things. And what I learned is the early essays were all uh, prompted by an invitation to participate in something. Mm. You know, I was given an assignment. Yeah. And I had to trace back and say, okay, who invited me? What organization? And uh, one of the funny things that it, it showed me is that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things us old heads have to understand is that you're not going to be the perpetual avant garde, okay? You're not
0: <laughs>
1: going <laughs> You know, there's always someone equally or more so ambitious than you, who is much younger than you, and who's trying to do exactly what you did, and that is build a reputation, and do all the fancy things that you did, and uh, and then you know, you look at that sometimes, and if you're you're not mature or you know feeling grounded, it's easy to uh, find yourself envious of that, but then. Uh, I look back on on some of those early essays, and I was, I was like, "Hey, you were can, can I can I swear on your uh, your your podcast?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, "Yo, you were hot shit back then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were uh, you were uh, invited around the globe to deliver an address or to to do that, and I had long forgotten that that those that was the circumstances of those." Uh, uh, of those uh, essays. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's about uh, looking at those essays and and the, and the those collaborations, as you put it, it it taught me a lot about myself and it it actually made me proud of what I had done in a way that I don't know if I would have had I not, you know, sat down and collected the essays, yeah
0: that brings a lot of context to something you wrote about as writing as self-fashioning. Uh, of creating oneself. And I love how it almost sounds like through this process of editing the book, you were able to self-fashion through remembrance.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Thank you for, for framing it that way. Yeah, yeah, because not only did I see myself uh, growing as a scholar and, you know, coming out the gate, trying to make a name and, uh you know, being so careful and diligent about things and and wanting to, you know, very scared, too, you know, because, wow, there's a lot at stake. Because I was saying some things that needed to be said that hadn't necessarily been put in the way that I had put it in my field. So, you know, there was some, you know, testiness surrounding some of that stuff. And so I saw myself self-fashioning through the essays but the the act of collecting them rereading them Mm -hmm. and uh processing what it all meant meant that i looked at myself differently in the in the aftermath of all of that you know i uh i i became really proud of myself you know in a in a quiet way you know that a kind of inner settling kind of way that i had done my best and i had worked hard and there was no reason to be ashamed of anything i had done or that i hadn't done enough or that someone else did it better or someone else did more you know those kind of those negative things that come up in everyone's mind you know (laughs)
0: I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course not.
0: <laughs> it, it is interesting, too, as you find those those points to feel proud about where you've been. Has, did that shape how you thought about where you're headed next?
1: Sure it has. Uh, you know, without that self-assessment and uh, a kind of close a closer idea of who others perceive you to be in, in your own self-perception mm-hmm. i'm i'm really uh big on trying to close that gap mm-hmm. uh because one of the things i learned one of the big lessons i learned is that how sad it would be that you were living your dream and didn't realize it how sad it would be that you had accomplished so much, and you were still feeling like you were striving. And this, uh, you know, essay collection, and, you know, or even just thinking about the music I've made and thinking about that, gives you a clear idea about the reality of who you are Mm -hmm. and not these self-defeating ideas that we often carry about ourselves. And so what is the result moving forward is that you have more confidence. You have a a way of talking to people that is free of any of the defenses that we carry when we're not feeling good about what we've done. And when you walk through the world, you know, kind of with arms open and feeling good and shoulders square, chin up, all of that stuff, it it really does make you uh, a more comfortable asset for people <laughs> if they want to invite you into yeah. their circle. If they want to give you uh, some opportunities that you may not have if you're constantly thinking that you don't deserve them. Wow.
0: Love that. Yeah, you
1: know, it just, it even makes you different at these social events that you attend, you know, when. You're obviously around. This is something my my wife has always uh, encouraged me to do. You know, just will you will you stop hanging around the cheese plate and go go and go and meet people? <laughs> you know, and there are people in this room who can give you your next big opportunity. And if you don't think you deserve to be there, you're not going to move around the room you're not going to mm-hmm. uh after the handshake and the introduction you don't know where to go from there yeah you 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 know and you're you're thinking that you know you're off kilter you're you you don't you you don't have a purpose and I'm not talking about being this sh- shameless opportunist I'm think I'm talking about uh that person may be needing to talk to you. You may have something that they need and came there looking for. But if you don't have your mm-hmm. mind clear, if you don't know why you're there, if you don't have this confidence about what you've done, then uh nobody wins. Yeah. And
0: is the only way to get that confidence is just through self-reflection, or is it is there some other path to that?
1: certainly it starts with self
0: reflection i think
1: but another thing i think has helped me is that just surrounding yourself with people that will tell you the truth and uh collaborating collaborating with people who uh are telling you what value you're bringing to the table mm-hmm. you know it's it's if you surround yourself with the right people, it takes a lot more work to believe you're a jerk than it does to openly receive all the goodwill that they're trying to give you. Mm. So it really is about who's around you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've learned I've learned that I've learned that the hard way. And uh you know, uh, particularly if you've done as many things as I've done, because you can't walk into a new situation and, and claim expertise, you're a student. You know, for instance, when the uh, the pandemic hit, I was in the middle of rec- planning to record uh, my, my latest album. The pandemic hit and, well, let me back up a little bit. I, I knew how to record albums, how, you know, with a live, you know, band and things like that. I, I knew how to do that. And I even understood how to do digital work, but I needed an engineer who actually knew the software right next to me. So I, I knew what I wanted. I knew how to tell them what I wanted. And you, I got really efficient at that. Pandemics shut everything down. You have to go virtual. I had to learn software myself. I had to sit down and and not be you know, the expert, I had to be the student. And you're making phone calls and you're you're online, you're reading stuff and going to YouTube university and you know to <laughs> exactly. to get it all together. And uh yeah it's uh it it just keeps you growing. Mm-hmm. It it keeps you growing and giving up that uh expert mantle and And willing to be a student and and to sit in the drive you sit in the passenger seat and 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 take in information, take in more information than you're spewing out.
0: was that hard to become a student again, or has that just been a part of that journey is knowing when to be the professor and when to be the student?
1: I think that it's always been kind of easy for me to to be around people who knew more and i i tend to make friends that way the people who i really consider my friend are people who i consider who know more than i do people who i kind of respect and admire something about them and you know and they're a reflection of some aspect of who you want to be and what you want to know and uh mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I would say that's been somewhat easy. I'm not saying it's always one hundred percent in place. (laughs) You know, you 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 know, sometimes I fail at it and sometimes I'm you know, I I bring the wrong attitude to the table, you know, and and I get checked and I have to fail and then I learn. But mostly right now at this age, you know, it's it's kind of a lot smoother than it was when I was a younger man. There was,
0: there's something that you wrote in your latest book that I really want to hear from you about, because I've been thinking about it since I read it. And you told the story about having to write your first paper and how, you know, you were like, I got to go write a paper. And so the person showed you how to load the typewriter with the paper. And what was so fascinating was after that moment, I was never intimidated by the writing process. That just, that blows my mind just thinking about that. That once you got past that initial moment, you you weren't intimidated by it anymore. Like, what was that like?
1: Uh, I think I must have related it to a musician showing me some chords. Mm. You know, uh, when you train as a musician from the very early age, you kind of recognize that oh, this person really knows how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. I I need to know, I wanna know. And so you learn how to emulate. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I think that a musician wants to pursue that is that they Mm -hmm. feel like they have something, there's something in them that makes them feel that I have something to say musically. I can see myself channeling that musical expression, but damn it, somebody needs to show me how to <laughs> unlock that mystery. Yes, I, mean, I have a twelve-year-old granddaughter, and uh, she started playing cello last year. Wow! And uh, she calls me. I'm her musical guru, of course. And she <laughs> called me and said, "Oh, my 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 teacher wants me to come over." for a private lesson at her house on Sunday, you know? I'm like, oh, what time? Oh, during the Phillies game? Okay. (laughs) So, but she was in the car, man, and I could feel the energy from her. Ah, She was, I could feel something from her that was emulating out of her being that she was about to do something. That she really wanted to do, she was excited, and she called the right man to make it happen, and who would, no matter what was going on, was going to, you know, oh, oh, you want to play cello? Okay, (laughs) right. And so, uh, I just believe we, you know, musicians are like that, and I must have been like that too. I must have had something to say. Yeah. You know, I must have believed in my words enough to believe that all I have to do is learn this machine. And so my learning this machine and learning the tab key and the capitalization key and how to, you know, move to a new paragraph, Mm -hmm. you know, the form... The form of writing, putting in it, putting it in, you know, typewritten form, and then learning about the organization and all of that. Just like me, it's just like music, 100%. okay? Yeah, and uh, you know, and then it was accomplished. And I'm not saying that I considered myself a writer at that point. I'm just saying that writing didn't intimidate me. That i understood what that was about it was almost like something became unlocked with learning that machine learning the typewriter mm-hmm. and of course i went after it uh just like i did everything else i uh there was a program called typing tutor where you could learn the you know through exercises you could learn how to touch type yeah okay and then i you couldn't stop me then you know <laughs> And i did like i did piano i just showed up every day and it was just just the repetition of acquiring a skill which is about manipulating small muscle groups just like you know the piano just you know i'm like oh okay i know this i know how to do this Mm -hmm. i know how to show up every day and put my time in
0: yeah it's interesting because as you were describing that process of form and learning the, the keys, you know, whether it's the typewriter or the piano, were you ever afraid of having your influences so readily available in what you're doing? Cause when we start all, sometimes people can hear our influences. They can't hear our voice yet. And I know some musicians are very fr- afraid of, you know, being found out for their influences and not being original quote unquote, mm. you know?
1: yeah I, I I do know that uh I could talk about both realms I personally uh believe emulation is the first step and I've 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 always been comfortable with that mm-hmm. you know uh both in music because I would transcribe you know uh jazz solos and things like that and learn how to I remember I was did a gig in um in New Orleans. I was a young man, could have been 19. And uh had a summer gig in New Orleans. How about that? 19 years old summer gig in New Orleans. Wow. <laughs> playing playing every night. And uh in the whole we were the uh I think we were the hotel band when they used to have those, you know. In the in the bar, you know. Yeah. And uh this uh family reunion came into the uh uh, into the the hotel and uh Harold McKinnon McKinley McKinnon who was a big uh a pianist in uh from uh, Detroit and he sat down on the same piano that I had been playing you know for this entire gig And he made it sound so different because of his touch because of the chords he was playing and he played one chord a D minor nine. Sharp eleven or something like that, and it changed my life. Mm. You know, he played a song that I had been playing, but he put this juice on this chord, and and the heavens opened up in my head. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, and of course I asked him what that chord was, and of course he showed me, and it began me on a whole new trajectory of understanding. You know, uh advanced harmony and superimposition of chords and all of that, mm. and. Uh, yeah, I just tried to sound exactly like him until I could come up with a better idea. <laughs> right. And then I look at some of my early essays and so many of them are, uh, you know, my as I said in the intro to the book, my uh, mentor and uh, professor at the University of Michigan, Richard Crawford, was very much into historiography. That is the writing of the writing of history, you know, studying what writers, historical writers understanding what, how can I put it clearly, understanding the people who have written histories and try to find out what patterns exist in their writing. Mm-hmm. That's historiography. Interesting. And I tr- I tried to be just like him. You know, he, he wrote a, uh, a an article called Cosmopolitan or Provincial, and it was about American music. I wrote an article called Cosmopolitan or Provincial, question mark, <laughs> and centered that on uh (laughs) african-american music traditions uh and i didn't i always was proud to be in conversation yeah that was my my ideas i wanted to be in conversation with his ideas you know as a as my mentor Mm -hmm.
0: i love that idea of influence being a conversation with people that you care about i love that
1: yeah yeah otherwise uh I'm, I'm not saying that I didn't develop a, an original voice, but it wasn't original to begin with. you know uh, when I met my wife, the uh, art historian Kelly Jones, who came from a tradition of writers in her her home um that changed my writing because uh, she was a, a curator who you know although she was trained as an art historian she's a curator and so her writing had to be for a broad public it was never just for scholars and which mine started out to be just for scholars and then moved into a more public arena and i watched her process and i watched her uh you know the reaction her writing got from people And, uh, I was like, wow, I want to be just like you. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that, that changed me too, because I saw how many more people you can reach if you just did a certain thing in your writing.
0: Wow. There's, there's so many roads that we could go down. There's so many threads that we could discuss. And I just, I thank you for the way that you show up just in conversation today. It's, it's. It has been instructive. it has been inspirational, and I'm just grateful that that you have taken this time to share your history with me.
1: Uh, Chris, thank you so much for the invitation. What a pleasure uh, to to share, you know, what I've been doing. This is a fascinating podcast, and I'm so happy that this was my first one of my campaign for the book.
0: Yeah, thank you. as as we wrap up today, What's what's a seed that you want to plant in the listener's mind right now?
1: Hmm. What I would love for people to walk away with is that we are all in a constant process of reinvention. Mm-hmm. And that we should never be afraid of that tug to move into new territory. Uh, I think that those kinds of experimentations and those kinds of uh, explorations are the things that keep us uh, wanting to live another day. Mm -hmm. And I also think it is something, if you have children or grandchildren, as I do, that it will show up as inspiration for them. And I can think of no better way to live life than to inspire others to be a better version of themselves.
0: I love that. Well, final question for you. What book or album is blowing your mind right now? Okay.
1: Ah, That's a good question because, you know, I'm always reading several and always listening to a lot you know I'm going to go to my uh because I want to remember this woman's name correctly that has really been inspiring me lately uh she's a new artist and of course it's not on the tip of my tongue because I listen to so much all the time oh I bet her name is Alicia Alatuja and uh she is a a, a young singer and uh I encountered her on uh some of the uh the radio shows I listened to. I listened to WBGO in uh, uh the radio station in uh Newark, New Jersey. And I also listened to uh the DJs in uh WRTI, which is in uh uh in Philadelphia based in, in Philadelphia. And I listen for new releases, that's my thing. I'm always listening for new re- new things I haven't heard. And I listen to her music and it's just beautiful, beautiful music. And the, the last name is spelled O-L-A-T-U-J-A. And it's just my recent fascination. She has some covers on there and I love people who recontextualize older music and make it their own. That's one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, yeah, so, and I'm just about to pick, I'm already fascinated by this book that I haven't even cracked open yet, but I, <laughs> it's my next one. And it's by Francesca Royster. It's called Black Country Music. <laughs> and it's, uh, about, uh, African-American musicians who have participated in the country music genre. So I'm always about crossing boundaries and mixing it up and keeping them guessing. So that's, I'll say those two. I I started to say my own book, but I won't do that. (laughs) I think I've talked about my new book, Who Hears Here, (laughs) on Black music's past and present enough.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well done. One of my favorite parts of this conversation with Guthrie is when he talked about self-fashioning. And the question that I wanna leave with you is this, how can you begin to make sense of your own self-fashioning? Will you do what perhaps Guthrie did and make a website for yourself so it can all start making sense? Or maybe you just need to start writing things down, making sketches and collecting references. Perhaps you need to let go of the expert label and become a student again. Whatever it is you need to do, I hope you're inspired by this conversation with Guthrie to actually open yourself up to the next chapter of your creative story. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.